Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitcavage, and this is a podcast where you can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check us out on the web at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. Today's guest attended the Bennington Writing Seminars and is a fellow of the Hugh Noakes Artist Residency. She has worked as a journalist, a bookseller, a librarian, and a hospital worker. She currently lives in Portland, Maine. Her debut novel, Lungfish, is out now via Catapult. I'm, of course, talking about Megan Gillis. Hey, Megan, how are you doing today? I'm good, Adam. Thanks for having me on. It's wonderful to be here with you. Of course. Uh, your book, Lungfish, is uh, a super great book. I can't wait to dive into it. I always start with, uh, what is Lungfish to you? What is the book about? Oh, well, there's such a big question and probably the one I am most <laughs> unprepared <laughs> to answer. I think Lungfish... Um, it was an attempt to figure some things out on the page. I think Lungfish is an attempt to work through some of life's problems sort of in the hopes of arriving at some sort of answer or solution, but I, I don't make any claims that it arrives there. Mm-hmm. Um, more specifically, Lungfish is the story of a young woman named Tuck who ends up on a bit of um, a bit of old family property that's in legal limbo she doesn't really realize that she has been brought there by her husband because he has spent all their money. He has a drug addiction. Um, and this is sort of their uh, only option at the point. Um, it does come with some expiration limits on it. So life then becomes very stressful for Tuck and she's quite isolated, um, living on a remote property with a, um, young child at her hip who she also has to, you know, keep alive while she's trying to figure out what to do next. Mm-hmm. And the book itself is like, I'm looking at a page right now. It's like two paragraphs, half a page. Um, and the structure goes from, you know, very long traditional chapters to these short vignettes. I want to talk about that as, and how that, how you arrived to that. Did, was that a conscious effort or did, did you like, I want to mess with the structure of a traditional novel or did it just kind of come naturally? Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, it was, it was both aspirational in the sense that sort of like the first book I read that made me feel really excited about being a writer was Mary Robeson's Why Did I Ever, which is written in just, you know, sentence um, Mm -hmm. level vignettes, just one after another. And I just, the way they bounced off of each other and communicated with each other across chapters just really woke me up. Um, So I've always admired that structure and played with it in short fiction, you know, even before becoming a parent, I will say that I think it was the only way to write this book as a working parent Mm -hmm. when you have maybe five, 10 minutes a day to yourself to put something on the page. So, you know, I think I got lucky in that what was possible was also something that I was really striving for really admired in literature that I had read already Mm -hmm. and like focusing on editing this type of structure were there attempts to make certain scenes longer or cutting them to fit shorter vignettes or like did you within like you know you know a b c d did you want to have it varied or how, how much did you think about where and when long pieces were and short pieces were yeah, I mean, it was really a nightmare, and I haven't, <laughs> I haven't been the best archivist at like keeping track of different oh. drafts across. You know, I think it was five or six years I was working on this, um, 
but it has been arranged in many different ways. You know, at some point I had to lay everything out chronologically mm -hmm. just to like wrap my head around like, okay, what's the actual story here? Mm -hmm. And then in putting things back together, I did realize like, oh, actually these two vignettes, I like, can't work as they are because they're conflicting, you know, with some timeline element. Um, and then because the vignettes are sort of so, I think, precisely written and tied to like a particular emotional state, I often found it wasn't possible to just move it. It mm -hmm. often meant like, oh, if it wasn't working, then it has to leave the book. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe plant a seed for something new to come out of it. But, um, but yeah, it was a very messy process. For me, it had to be very physical throughout. I mean, writing this book, I did write it on like a little you know, MacBook Air, so I could only see a few sentences at a time, but definitely a lot of like printing out and taking over the whole home to sort of lay things out and move them around. Um, I have a really, really terrible memory too. I really have no ability to remember what I've done, done in the past, which on the one hand made that process super hard at the book length level, just keeping track of what I had put where. Um, but it also, I think was a superpower of sorts and that I often had forget, forgotten what I had written. And so I was encountering, you know, each time I would reapproach the book, it was like encountering it for the first time again. And I could sort of remember what it was like to approach each, you know, vignette for the first time, um, mm. to sort of see its, its full potential or, you know, it, power I say that I hope humbly but it you know it it did keep me awake to the possibilities mm -hmm. yeah I want to dive back into that but you mentioned like the emotional content of vignettes is that what drove is that what drove the novel for you like really just diving into the emotions of these characters and these scenes I think so yeah I mean I think in those like early morning hours when I tried to creep out of bed before my daughter woke up um, which usually didn't work. I'll be honest. She was like, mm -hmm. she's got that like sense. She knows and I'm trying to get out of bed and leave her and she would wake up and then it was over. There's you no know, writing happening that day. But um, those days when I was successful, I do think what I was trying to do was to sort of grapple with an emotional state that I was, had become familiar with um, and attempting to put it on the page, you know, sort of embodied in this fictional world um, to sort of figuring out a way to, to yeah, to, to capture that feeling. Yeah, and then, and then like forgetting things. I, I, I feel I'm pretty similar to you. I could read something this morning and then someone will ask me like what it was about. And I'm like, I don't remember what it's about. I can tell you I felt reading it. I can tell you the yeah. vibes I was getting with it. <laughs> exactly the same. Um, You're my favorite books. So I, yeah. I don't know what happened, but oh, it was yeah. fantastic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, as soon as I turned the page, I'm like, I don't remember that at all. Um, <laughs> it's just, I'm so bad at it. Um, when you're reading, are you similar? Do you, are, are you, what do you care about when you're reading? Is it the same as what you care about when you're writing? I know you talked about like the structure was similar to what you really loved, but do you read what you write sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, it's it definitely, you know, it changes from mm -hmm. month to month and from year to year what I'm craving. I, you know, I think, I mean, to be totally honest, for a while, right about the time I started writing, I really couldn't 
read at all. I was mm-hmm. struggling with Lyme disease. My cognition oh, wow. was just like vastly reduced and it was hard to stay awake for a whole page, let alone like understand what I had read. I'd be like reading the same sentences over and over. Wow. Um, so, you know, I think at that time I gained really gained an appreciation for like super short fiction. I started, I loved like the super tight, mm-hmm. short fiction where I could get extract some experience out of just like a few lines. Like I didn't need to keep a whole book in my head to be able to get something from it. Yeah. Um, and I think that appreciation has definitely stuck with me. Um, <laughs> although, you know, life is never so simple. It's just like, Oh, I had Lyme disease and then I got better. Then it's yeah. like, you know, you like, you become a parent and you're like, Oh, I have thyroid issues and like vitamin B12 deficiencies. That's why my brain's not working. But then you're like, I'm also like getting old and I don't sleep very much. And like, maybe I'm just not that smart or as smart as I want <laughs> to be. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I do kind of use uh, sort of illnesses as a way to explain my reading habits still for better or for worse. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do find that, you know, now I, more than anything, what I find myself looking for when I read is just something that keeps me reading. I, I'm a slow reader and I don't get to read that many books a year. So I do find myself like getting halfway through a lot of books. And if they don't have that element of pull to them and like I'm yeah. getting rewarded on every page, um, then, you know, I, I do tend to move on. I feel you on that. I don't have time for something that's not just clicking with me. Um, it could be like, everyone could love it. And I'm just like, it's not for me. It's, and that's okay, you know? Yeah. Um, do like I take that as a complete failure. I think a lot of books, the reward comes later, right? You have all this sort of yeah. accumulated information and then like, wow it's got this like powerhouse ending yeah i think it's because um, i don't care about plot that's the yeah, problem yeah. you know what i mean um but you mentioned lyme disease and then thyroid did um issues did that affect your writing as well as your reading like were you able to write through these health up and downs i think yeah i mean i think i did begin writing at about that time and i think it was sort of a way to like <laughs> make myself feel more intelligent because Mm -hmm. I, I did find it, you know, my brain was just slowed down, you know, conversation was hard. It would take me too long to sort of formulate a response. And by then someone else would have said something. And so I, I just felt, you know, kind of dumb. (laughs) And uh, I think writing did become a way to just sort of have that place where I could explore my thoughts, um, let them build on each other. Mm -hmm. You mentioned writing before your daughter wakes up or in between the, mo- the moments of, of life. Do you feel, did you write before you had a child or did you, cause it sounds like you kind of started writing maybe later in, in your timeline. Is, did you write before you, you had her? I did. I think, you know, I started writing obviously as a kid, everybody starts mm-hmm. writing as a kid and I think there were some signs that like, I probably should have pursued that, but you know, it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to pursue. So I tried other things and I didn't come around to writing in a real way until I was, um, I had gone to first photography school and then you sort of stepped sideways into a photojournalism program and then got a job and they're like, Hey, actually you're a better writer than a photographer. You're going to be like writing your own stories. Um, and then you know, with that, I, 
with reporting, I just felt so aware of how unequipped I was to report on the world in any sort of like Mm. authoritative way. I mean, I was also, you know, 20 years old or whatever and living in a part of the world I wasn't familiar with. And Mm. I think just was aware of my limitations in that role. Um, And so it was, it was a little bit after I sort of gave up on journalism that I started writing fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, it was like, I don't know, that was like probably a solid eight years before I had a kid. You know, I went through an MFA program um, and I think my daughter was born the year after I graduated. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I was working on a lot of short fiction before she was born. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just like to get timelines of things. Um, I feel you know, as writers grow, as life happens, you know, as writers grow, as life happens, writing changes. Um, How has your writing kind of changed from when you, you know, started your MFA to now? Uh, Life has happened, obviously, but are you, yeah, I guess, let me just, I'll, I'll stop there and edit my own question. The question is, how has your writing changed over the years? Yeah. I mean, so much, there've been so many variations and it just depends on different configurations of Mm -hmm. like what my day job is. I mean, I've Mm -hmm. always had a job. Some have been more flexible than others. Um, You know, how much money do we have? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Can I take one day a week off to have a whole day while the kids in daycare or actually do I need to say goodbye to that for now and and, Mm -hmm. get back to earning a paycheck? Um, but I will say I have an interesting relationship to money when it comes to writing. I write better when I have zero dollars. Mm. Um, that's like my, that's my good zone for, for creativity. I, I find as somebody who has, you know, always sort of struggled to stay afloat. Um, although I acknowledge the many, many advantages I have, like also it's just the reality is, you know, it's been paycheck to paycheck always. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find that whenever I've had like some sort of windfall, the money is such a distraction. It's like, Oh my gosh, what do I need to use all this money for? How I'm going to get best spend it. And my mind completely leaves like thinking about writing. It's just like, okay, here's this other project I have to tackle. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I get back down to zero, like that's when the good stuff starts to happen. Yeah, your bio in the back of the book says you were, you know, worked as a librarian, a hospital worker, a bookseller. Um, what was the the main day job during Lungfish? Was there like one that like was your job throughout most of the writing? Yeah, I think during the initial drafting of it, I was uh, working at the library in several different roles, mm-hmm. um, and you know that was a a fabulous job in that you know, just put me in contact with lots of people on a daily basis and lots of surprises, Mm -hmm. um, as well as lots of like reference materials that just happened to like pass through my hands. And I'd be like, Oh, what's this? And then, you know, you'd find little nuggets, um, that you could use, um, in the book. Um, yeah. And then, and then I did during the revision process, I was working as a, uh, a unit secretary at the hospital during COVID, just like answering call bells and mm-hmm. phone calls from family members and stuff. And um, that was a nice job because my responsibilities were so defined. And so when I was not at the hospital, I was not at the hospital. And that, that was great for the revision process to just mm-hmm. be 
fully not at work when I was not at work. Yeah, I definitely find that interesting. For a long time, I, um, you know, I've written for like a pop culture websites or other literary websites before starting Day Beautiful. And for a long time, I was um, like working for the state government. Just I showed up, I did my thing and I left. Mm -hmm. And now I am, uh, you know, the events director of an indie bookstore. And so now all I do is think about books at work, off work, right? And mm -hmm. it's interesting, my relationship with like, with books and literature has definitely shifted now that that's all I do, as opposed to like being a paper pusher for the government. Yeah. Um, it sounds like, I mean, the library was beneficial and you explained why. Do you feel you write differently when your day job is book related compared to not? Like, are you thriving for literature and writing um, differently when you're doing X, Y, or Z? You know, I'm, I'm not sure like the nature of either of those two jobs has mm -hmm. had a huge impact. I will say I've always known about myself that like, I probably couldn't be a person who was like intensely involved in the world of literature mm -hmm. and also try to write. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm so baffled by people who are able to, to do that and like to come back to their writing space and sort of like turn off any like comparisons they might be making, you know, in their heads about themselves or about what they'd encountered that day. Um, I know it's super fruitful for a lot of people, but for me, I, I, I know that I just need a daily yeah. grind job. And <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, your book and you are tied to Maine. You live in Maine. The book is very Maine, Mainer, Maine-ish. Um, I love place. I, uh, before we started recording, I told you my father lives in Maine and has since 2011. So I guess a while now, but not, he's never going to be a Mainer. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I, I love Maine. And I love books in Maine. Like uh, Night of the Living Res came out a little earlier this year, Morgan Totley. Yeah. Um, then this book, what is it about Maine? Like, do you have to write about it? Does it drive you? Um, will you ever not write about Maine? What's Maine like for you as a, as a writer? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I write about Maine because it's where I am and probably mm -hmm. because I'm not the most imaginative writer in the, <laughs> in the world. You know, mm -hmm. I think being able to make use of regular observation is helpful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there is a super supportive writing community up here. Um, which is really lovely. I do also think there's always um, sort of a fun challenge as somebody who writes about Maine, which is to sort of subvert expectations about what a book coming out mm -hmm. of Maine is, um, which I think Night of the Living, Living Res did mm -hmm. beautifully. You know, I in my mind, that's pretty different from other books that I've seen, yeah. you know, coming out of this place and, and being lauded as it is being rightfully. Um, but yeah, I mean, a little challenge like that is always fun. Like, okay, how am I going to sort of subvert mm -hmm. expectations here? Yeah. The writing community, I guess, let's talk about that. Everyone thinks, you know, New York or San Francisco, what, what does your community look like? Um, you know, up, up in the great North there. <laughs> um, well, you know, so I live in Portland, which is the biggest city in Maine. It's on the coast in the southern part of Maine. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, you know, we have a few nice cultural institutions that mm -hmm. put on literary events. I feel like places are just starting to like wake back up again after that long COVID sleep. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I feel like there's a lot of excitement. Like I just keep getting out my calendar lately and putting new things, new events on it. Um, so I think, I think it's waking up. I think there's a lot of energy here right now. I think a lot of, um, we have a lot of new writers here now, people who maybe, you know, left their homes for COVID related reasons and ended up here. So we have a great new pool of literary minds mm -hmm. to sort of share their energy with us. Um, that being said, I don't really surround myself with, with writers that, mm. that, that much. Yeah. Um, yeah, my friends tend to be like, um, for whatever reason, I therapists, they're always therapists. I don't get go to therapy because I don't need it. I've never needed it. Um, mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, I gravitate towards um, seeking those people out. To yeah. Are those, from. are those friends who aren't writers, are those early readers for you? Or do you seek out other writers to workshop with? I do seek out other writers. To workshop okay. with. Yeah. A small group. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Cool. Yeah. I'm always curious. I know some people who are like, I don't have anyone workshop my work anymore. I just have my partner read it because, you know, they're just a reader. They're not like, they don't know the technical stuff. And if it's working for readers, it's working. I'm always fascinated by who lets people read what. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The book you, you mentioned at the top, it, it goes to seek out answers to questions in life and it may or may not answer questions. Are you okay when you have like, nah, let me start that back. When, when books do what your books do, where it's just like, I'm going to throw all these things at the wall and, and the reader has to kind of figure it out. What do you hope the reader leaves your book with? I mean, I think it was important to me, you know, at least at, in, at some point in the process, you know, I was, going through some struggles sort of akin to tux the circumstances are you know different it's definitely fiction but i some of tuck's emotional states reflected my emotional states during the process of writing it and um those were hard places to to be um but i also knew that um those were states that were very familiar to other people who had family members who were experiencing addiction mm -hmm. and maybe states of mind that other people weren't able to understand. So I did want to write a book that would really draw people into that state of mind and sort of inhabit it um, and then come away with a little bit of, you know, understanding about what that experience might feel like. Yeah. Was it hard for you to put those emotions and those like beats down on the page or was it, was it easy, not easy, but did it make sense for you to feel right to get the, these hard like topics out? I think I've always enjoyed that process. Mm -hmm. So was it hard? Like, yeah, it probably was hard, but I also liked it. Yeah, for sure. And that's, <laughs> That's what writing is all about. Um, earlier, you mentioned you know, reading 
it was difficult for a long time. Are you reading now? Are you enjoying anything that's on the horizon or recently? Yeah, I mean, there's there's there are a lot of great works of fiction on the horizon that I am theoretically very excited about. Mm -hmm. um, I I or, or books. Some of them have come out, but I haven't gotten to them yet. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm very excited to read um, Kick the Latch by uh, Catherine Scanlon. I'm excited to read The School for Good Mothers by Justin and Chan. Um, there is going to be a book coming out next year called The Nature Book by Tom Kamina, which I'm really interested to take a look at. Um, it's a, as I understand it, it's a novel um, told by collaging descriptions of the natural world, taking from um, other works of literature, like across hundreds of years. So it's just, he just compiles all of this material. And I am so excited to see how that turns into a novel of its own. Yeah, that sounds uh, wild. I will say, though, that as a debut author whose first novel is about to drop, I find myself a little too jittery in the moment to be reading yeah. fiction. Um, so I've been taking the time to sort of read books that I can't really like compare myself against because there is that horrible tendency as much mm -hmm. as like we try to avoid it to just be like, oh, no, this book is so much better. I should have done it this way or you know, and it's not helpful at all. But, um, but yes, I've been reading some poetry. Um, Time is a Mother by Ocean Vuong and mm -hmm. Third and Kind by Ada Limon. Just started a memoir called Ma and Me. Um, probably not going to pronounce the author's name correctly here, but Putsada Ring, if I were to give it my best guess. Um, yeah, I just, I find it so helpful to back away from fiction sometimes as much as I love reading it. Um, I do find that when I'm in like a, a really heavy writing state, I also tend to not be reading anything else because I'm so influenced by what I read that when I've tried to be reading something simultaneous to working intensely on a piece, I'll go back and I'll completely see that I just have you borrow somebody else's voice and put it into my book. So I do try to maintain some separation there. Thank you so much to Megan for joining the Day Beautiful podcast to talk about her debut novel, Lungfish. You can follow her on Instagram at Megan underscore Gillis. You can follow Day Beautiful on all social media at Day Beautiful and check out our website, daybeautiful.net. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. Beautiful.